Good morning. My name is Kent Wilcox. If you are a first-time visitor to our church today, let me give you my usual disclaimer. I am not a paid religious professional. My uh, good friend Kurt Carlson is away, and he asked me to fill in for him, which I'm glad to do, as long as it's not too often. Now, if you know Kurt, you know that he is a very sports-oriented kind of guy, and I am not. Uh, I am a nerd with a capital N. But I think, say it loud, I'm a nerd and I'm proud, but I think, I, I, I think there, were, there, there were some significant uh, athletic events that took place yesterday. So let me, uh, in the words of my hero, Montgomery Burns, so, fellows, how about that local sports team? So I'll check that off. Okay. <laughs> so if you've been here for a while, you know our pastor, Kurt Carlson, just finished his series last week on God's grace, and, and he set me up for what I wanted to preach today. Funny how that works. He finished his series on God's grace with a message last week on how we can live in that grace. And if you remember the summary of his message He talked about how we respond to God's grace that he shows towards us by means of trusting Jesus Christ, by making our lives count, by being generous to other people, and finally by sharing the good good news of God's grace to other people. So today I want to continue with the theme of how do we live, and I want to teach you some principles of godly and graceful living And no, there aren't seven steps or ten magic paths or the threefold charm or whatever. If there were, I wouldn't insult you with that anyway. I'm going to talk about principles of living. I'll help you apply them. And uh, we're going to have a little adventure today out of the Old Testament. First of all, let's get rid of that word out of conversation. Uh, I like to use the word Hebrew scripture or Jewish scripture because in our society, old has a connotation of bad. Okay? So... You know, open up your Bible with a pen and scratch out that word Old Testament right in Hebrew Scripture. You can use the word Jewish if you'd like. And I'm going to read to you from the prophet Jeremiah. So as I read the verses uh, through for you, I'm going to give you a short lesson in world history. I can tell you're excited about that. I'm going to explain the meaning of the Scriptures that I read. I'm going to tell you the significance to the original readers. And finally, I'll help you and me discover what I hope are timeless principles for godly living. Yes, they're there. So if you brought a Bible today, go ahead and crack it open to the first part. It's going to be about page 705. Just kidding. If you're not familiar with the Hebrew Scripture, open it up about in the middle. You'll probably find Isaiah. Jeremiah is the next one over, and you'll find it. So let's listen to the sound of us opening those books. It's, it's, it's like opening up a can of Spam, you know, that sound, because you haven't opened those pages yet. So turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm going to read it for you. This passage might be familiar to you already, because a lot of people like to memorize Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Now, that's a good one that Christians like to memorize, and that's fine. Scripture memory is cool, but I would ask you how many of us have memorized it in context of the chapter or the book of Jeremiah. That's what I'm going to help you understand today. Jeremiah was a prophet. A prophet in the Hebrew Scripture is someone who speaks for God in the present and speaks forth for God talking about the future. Okay? That's what a prophet is. Jeremiah spoke to God's people in the nation of Judah, and he warned the Jewish leaders specifically that if they didn't get their act together, 
their individual and corporate sins and knock it off, that he, the Lord, would discipline them harshly. And he was going to use two instruments for discipline. The king of Babylon, number one, and number two, his army. And these guys knew what they were doing. Chapter 29 is the text of a letter that Jeremiah wrote in the name of God when it was kind of too late. The Babylonian army had conquered the Jewish army in Judah, killed off pretty much all the soldiers, burned the city to the ground, and carried a lot of the exile, uh, people away into exile, captivity in Babylon. So if you can imagine yourself in that situation, you're a Jewish person, you've been dragged out of your home, you're in this other foreign country called Babylon, things might have looked pretty bad to you, might have looked pretty uh, hopeless and pretty depressing. Let's see if we can find any comfort to these people. So I'll start with Jeremiah 21, uh, sorry, 29, verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. So when is this? This is approximately uh, 600 B.C., in case you're keeping score. The date of the fall of Jerusalem is about 587 B.C. That's where we date when the Babylonian army burned the temple to the ground. Many captives, like a guy named Daniel, you might have heard of, the book of Daniel in the scripture, had already been taken to Babylon several years earlier in the first wave of exile around 605 B.C. It's this period when Jeremiah wrote. Verse 3, he entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, who Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. How about those names? Any of you ladies expecting a baby? You know, name that boy Nebuchadnezzar. I dare you. Hey. <laughs> Shorten it to what? Neb? I don't know. Anyway. And uh, here's what the letter said. First of all, who is this guy? All right, Nebuchadnezzar was the conqueror of Judah. His name means Nebo, defend my boundary. Nebo is one of the gods the Babylonians worshipped. It's kind of cool when your name is, hey God, defend my boundary, because I'm going to go get me some more territory. That's what he did. By the standards of his day, he was a pretty cool guy, very humane. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar was a statesman, military person, and he had an unusual policy towards conquered kingdoms. Instead of just killing everybody off, he didn't want to do that. He would defeat the army, destroy the physical plant, the uh, government buildings, the temples, you know, the walls, everything. And then he grabbed all the best people and he took them back to Babylon. So he got all the prophets, the kings, the nobles, artisans, craftsmen that I just read before, and he dragged them away to his own place. Why? Well, what he wanted to do was expand the realm of Babylon pretty much you know, across the known world. And he said, you know, I need every smart person I can get my hands on. So when you read the book of Daniel and the other three Jewish boys, these are the guys he got. Cream of the crop right out of Jewish school, took them to Babylon, and he put the, 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 the knowledge of his own civilization into their heads. That's what he was doing. Okay? Verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says 
to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Notice, it's an active verb. I, God, carried them away. So, why did he do this? Well, if you flip back to Jeremiah 25, you can do that this afternoon. Jeremiah explains why. He says that the Jewish people did not obey God when he told them to do two critical things to honor him. One, stop worshiping false gods. And two, observe the Sabbath years. In the Hebrew scripture, God explained to his people that every seventh year, he wanted them to rest the land. They had not done that. So Jeremiah said, look, you didn't listen to the Lord. You're still worshiping idols. You're still blowing off the Sabbath years. You're out of here. So he said that he would send his people out of the land for 70 years. Why 70? That was the number of Sabbath years they had missed. 490 years had gone by since they had observed a Sabbath year. Divide that by seven, and that's 70 years of exile. And here's the result. I don't know if any of you know any obedient or uh, uh, you know, religious Jewish people. I have a couple friends where I work who are very religious Jews. And you know what they don't do? They don't ever worship idols. And they never blow off the Sabbath. Think about that. guess it worked. Here's what God said, verse 5. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers... You too will prosper. Now, here's the important part of this instruction to the people. Notice how God addressed specifically how he wanted his people to live while they were under his discipline. Remember, discipline does not mean punishment. Don't get confused about that. Discipline is learning. Sometimes it's hard, but it's all about learning. As I said, I'm not a sports person, but I have you know, friends who are. And they tell me about, uh, you know, years ago when they were in high school and they had to do football practice. You know, oh, we had to go out in August and it was hot and blah, blah, blah. And I would say, you know, why, why would you do that? You know, you're an idiot. And the answer is, well, this is discipline, you see. We learn to harden our bodies so that we win the games. Okay, whatever. So, <laughs> Discipline. While his people were being disciplined, God wanted them to live with their conquerors as friends instead of enemies. He wanted, to make, wanted them to make friends of their new neighbors. He wanted them to overcome their natural resentment towards them. Wouldn't you be annoyed having to live in the neighborhood of the people who nuked your army and destroyed your city and carried you away? I would. And what would your inclination be? If it were me, one of two things. I would either avoid my neighbors like the plague because I'd be, you know, too good for them, or I'd want to kill them. God says neither one of those. He wanted the Jewish people in exile to act as a living blessing to their conquerors. And that is showing his grace. You see, even before Jesus was around, or Paul was writing about God's grace, or Kurt Carlson was preaching about God's grace, God was asking his people to represent him everywhere they went. And if you ever want to have some fun reading the books of Daniel and the book of Esther in the Hebrew scripture, wow, there's the story of two people who had a huge impact. Where? Here, Babylon. The book of Daniel ends up with Daniel running the country, 
and uh, Esther became the queen. That's pretty cool. So here's the message from God. Settle in, settle down, act like my chosen people. Your job is to reflect my glory and spread my blessings wherever you go, even if life stinks. Verse 8, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And here he's saying to them briefly, don't listen to the voices of people in Babylon who say, you know what, God has forgotten us. We're dumped in the suburbs and we're not going home. Don't listen to those people. They're lying. Because here's the truth. Verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. I just can't resist this. 70 years exile. Okay, where does that come from? Well, from the burning of the temple in 587 until the rededication of the temple in 517 adds up to 70 years. There were Jews living in Babylon longer than that period of time, but that's the 70-year exile. Destruction of the temple, 587, rebuilding it, 517. Who did that? You ever heard of Nehemiah? He's got a book in the Bible. Go read it. Zechariah, Zerubbabel, Haggai. They got books in the Bible. These are people that God used when the exile was over, and he said, okay, guys, You're disciplined. Come on home. Come out west to the ruins of Jerusalem. I'm going to ask you to rebuild it. Okay? When 70 years are completed, I'll come to you, fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place. These guys have really interesting names. I can't resist this. Zechariah means the Lord remembers. Zerubbabel, who was probably born in captivity, his name means seed of Babylon. And Nehemiah is my favorite. His name means means the Lord consoles. There, name your son Nehemiah. The Lord consoles. Finally, verse 11. Here's the one you all memorized, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So verse 11 is the one we like to memorize, and now you know what's going on. One of my favorite verses also. Just remember the context, and I'll help you apply it in a minute. May the Jewish people in exile being disciplined for disobedience. And maybe they were hopeless and having a hard time. And God said very clearly, don't worry, I have not forgotten you. I have plans for you. At the right time, you'll seek me and I'll be found. Oh, and who moved? God didn't move. He was there. There was a brief comment from one of my favorite books. I know it's yours too. Unger's Bible Dictionary. The condition of the captives must have had many an element of bitterness. They were humiliated with the memory of defeat and present bondage. If they were faithful to God, they were subject to bitter scorn and derision. They were required to pay for their existence in heavy services 
and tributes, those of high priestly, royal, or noble origin were treated with the utmost indignity. Finally, here's a summary from the scripture, Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? You thought Linda Ronstadt wrote that. It's from the Bible. That was before your time. So let's summarize, and this is in your bulletin if you're keeping score. What's the meaning? What's the meaning of the words to the first people who heard it? God was sending his people into a hard situation. It wasn't bad luck. It wasn't misfortune. It wasn't chance. It was the will of God. And that's the deal. And also, God had not forgotten them. He hadn't. Why would you write a letter to people you'd forgotten? And he reassured them that God had made plans for their lives to flourish while they were being disciplined, and someday to come back home. So what's the significance? What did these people get from this? I summarized that for you also. Notice, first of all, that the letter gives the exiles comfort and confidence in their new place. It is not going to be bad. And, and here's where grace connects, God wanted them to act as a living blessing to their enemies people that God had chosen to discipline them and show his grace to the conquerors. Principles. There are millions of them. I chose four. First of all, notice this in the passage, and then I'll help you apply it to your own lives, so bear with me. God is in charge of the situation. If you read through this like I did, you notice some repeated words. God Almighty, the God of Jerusalem, this is repeated several times in the passage, Jeremiah wanted it to be clear to the exiles who was in charge, and that's God. So don't worry about it. God has a plan. Here's the other one, and here's where, here's where I can learn from a lot of you. Settle down, settle in, settle down, get involved. He told his people to get involved in people's lives. Notice in verses 5 and 6, the Jews were told to build relationships, build gardens, build homes, pray for the prosperity of the, of the kingdom. One guy was running the place, Daniel. It worked out. And he told him to take advantage of the benefits of living in a peaceful and secure society. Because, you know, when you've been conquered, things are peaceful. Why not take advantage of it? Why not? The next one is work and pray for the benefit of everyone around you. I admire how some of you, especially my friend Keith, who I'll embarrass right there, Keith makes a living by working and praying for the people that he's involved with. And I know a lot of you act as believers in the business world doing exactly that same thing. Good for you. It's right out of the Bible. Jeremiah told the people to pray for the city. What city? Well, briefly, the nation of Babylon, the capital there was Susa. This was a place full of magicians, wizards, diviners, prophets, soothsayers, philosophers. They were the scientists of their day. Wouldn't you think that God would want his people to avoid contact with such? He asked them to get involved. Pray for their prosperity. Don't pray that your enemies die. Pray that they do well, because you will do well also. And finally, God will be there. He does not move away from you. He made it clear to them at the proper time he would call them home. They just have to wait a while. Okay? Relevance. Why 
do you care? Now, here's where I'm kind of going to break my rule. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'll tell you what to think. Okay? Here are some things to think about. God is asking you and me to bloom where he has planted us. What does that mean? Let me ask you some questions. How can you bloom where you're planted now? My wife and I had friends years ago from seminary and college days. Rich Campbell and his wife Janice. Rich was a pro football player for a while, and he moved around a lot. He moved more than most people I knew at the time would move. And the one thing about Rich and Janice that always impressed me, and some of you have this gift also, every time they moved into a new neighborhood, they got involved. They found a church, they met their neighbors, they found the best grocery store, they found the best restaurant, they, they just did it. It was just amazing. And then, uh, you know, a year or so later, they'd move again. And the thing they never did was they said, well, we'll only be here six months. Let's not get to know anybody. They never did that. Never, ever did that. So let me ask you to ask yourself, is there uh, a neighbor who doesn't know my name? Do my next-door neighbors know who I am? Do they trust me? Would they trust me to get their mail when they're on vacation or feed the dog? How about the person in the cubicle down the hall? Does that person know who I am? Do they see me as being different? Because that's the charge to the Jews in Babylon. There's a place where you are right now. Is God sending you to a new place? You know, I was thinking about our dear friends, the Barnetts, who just moved to the Netherlands. I've been to the Netherlands. It's a fun place. Um, the Dutch people are great people, but they're very different. So think about that. Different people, place, neighborhood, food, patterns of behavior. There you go. That's a new place. See, God sent the Jewish people to a hard place. Is he sending you to a hard place? Or is he sending you to a good place? Here's the deal. If you're thinking about going to a new home, apartment, neighborhood, job, set of relationships, that local sports team, you get a chance to push your reset button. You can do things differently if you want to. Okay? Do you have a plan to connect with people? I'll use my pastor's favorite word, intentional. Okay? Can you be intentional about people? You know, my friends Sam and Emmy Leach always have a plan to reach out to people. One of those things I admire about them, too. They always have a people plan, always dreaming and scheming and thinking, how do I get people over here? Dine with nine, feed with 15, gorge with a jillion, whatever. Okay? Um, how about you? Do you have a plan to connect with people? I have to tell you honestly, I am not so good at that. My excuse is I don't have very good people skills. That's actually nonsense. I'm just lazy about it, lazy and fearful. You guys can pray for me about that. See, when we're instruments of God's grace going someplace, he asks us, find somebody to connect with and do it because they learn about me through you. Can you think of how you can be a blessing? When you go to a new place, ask God how he can use you, and you might be surprised. One of my favorite books is the book of Esther, a young, beautiful Jewish girl who became queen of Babylon when she married Artaxerxes in 476 B.C. I'll never forget their wedding anniversary. <laughs> and when she was in a position to speak up for her people and was fearful, here's what her uncle said to her, and I'll repeat it to you. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. So think about this. 
I know a lot of you people are on the upward track in your career path. You're moving towards the top. I'm too old for that. I no longer care about that, but you can care about it. As you're moving up towards director, general manager, executive senior, lord, high vice president, whatever, ask yourself, why is God doing this for me? What am I supposed to do once I get to the top? For him. There's a shocker. Finally, I'm almost done. Ask yourself, what will you leave behind you when you go? Okay, I'm, I'm sorry I talk so much about where I work, but it's where I'm awake most of the time. So, I've been at my company 18 years, going on 19. One of my colleagues is here. You've been here, what, 13, 16? Yeah. My friend Pat and I are in what we call the Dinosaur Club. Of 1,700 members of our company worldwide, Pat and I are in the top 10. Been there forever. Sometimes I'd like to work someplace else. And sometimes I have a real hard time dragging myself out of bed. I've done a couple things, and I'll pass them along to you. As I wake up and I'm flopping around trying to figure out why I shouldn't get up, I pray a little prayer. I say, God, can you show me one person I can influence for you today in the geek factory? And almost every day he answers that prayer. Almost every day. Why am I still there? Well, one of my colleagues a couple years ago came to me and said, Kent, my cancer is back. I don't have a pastor. You're the closest I've got. Can we talk? Not because I'm so special, but because I'm there. And you wouldn't talk to HR, would you? The other day, a young friend of mine came to me and he said, Kent, you know, I'm a pastor's son and I've never read the Bible. Can you show me how to read the Bible? And I had to refrain myself from going. (laughs) (laughs) And the answer, of course, is yes, I can. Not because I'm better than anybody else, but because... I'm there. So, why are you there? Where are you going? How can you dig in? What will you leave behind when you move out or up or go away? My goal is I'd rather not leave FEI Company by dying in my cubicle. I'd rather leave it of my own choice. And I hope to be remembered as someone who has an impact on a few people. I hope that's what you want to. Okay, conclusion. I'm done. There are some principles to follow. It is not for me to tell you what to do, but I do want to tell you how to think. And I want to leave you with this. Verses 12 and 13, Jeremiah 29. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Remember when God sends you someplace or puts you someplace, you need to seek him Pray, listen, figure out how we can be a blessing. We are transmitters of God's grace wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever the deal is. There you go.